So one of the things that they offered were temporary weight loss contests. Over the years of doing that program so many times, the compliance of people that started the contest that would, you know, not even if they were successful or not, but just who would like end the contest, like get on the scale at the very end, it was less than 20%. When we started noticing that, you know, low carbohydrates seemed to be working for so many people, we used, you know, scales and body fat trackers to be able to tell that people were not just losing weight, they were losing body fat. You know, we just used the framework of those 90 day, 60 day contests. And we went rogue and gave people different meal plans that were much more simple. They were much more low carbohydrate. They had fewer ingredients. People really liked them. And we just tracked our people over time just doing that. But we had over 100 people that we ended up testing over the course of doing all these 60-day contests. And sure enough, our compliance percentage was about 65%. They lost a combined 730 pounds with 720 of those pounds coming from actual fat mass. Welcome to the Live Damn Well podcast. My goal with this project is pretty simple. In a world which has become increasingly divisive and polarized, I want to bring you a balanced perspective of health. To deliver on that promise, I'll seek out experts with conflicting opinions to tackle the topic of health from as many angles as possible in order to make this podcast into an amazing resource for anyone looking to improve their health. Thanks for joining me. Welcome back to the show. If you have been a listener to this podcast since day one, then uh, damn, thank you for supporting the show. And if you haven't, well, I hope you continue to listen to the show and consider supporting the show. Check the link in the description to buy me a nice warm cup of coffee. Also, thank you to Thrive Market, one of the sponsors of this podcast. I love Thrive Market and anything that I ever promote on this show will always be something that I've tried myself and something that I have thoroughly looked into because I take that stuff seriously and I'm not going to sell myself out for some 10% commission here, okay? So anyway, I love Thrive because they are one of the few or if not the only subscription-based fully online health food store which delivers right to your door. And they deliver some of the stuff that you'd get at Whole Foods, except it's like a fraction of the cost that you'd get there. And you don't have to go to the store. They bring it to you. So you can get wild-caught fish. You can get you know, grass-fed beef. You can get all this stuff frozen and delivered to you. You can get really high-quality wines. You can get supplements, non-toxic cleaners, uh, snacks that are paleo, organic, vegan. It's fully curated. I would check them out. And because you're an amazing listener of this podcast, you get 40% off of your first order and you get a free gift when you join Thrive Market. You can try it out for a year or a month and use my link and get those gifts. Now, if you haven't heard of Hugh Kitchen, they make some incredible paleo and fully organic chocolate crackers and cookies. They're delicious. I highly recommend you check them out. You can use 
code J-O-R-G-E for 15% off site-wide. Link will be in the description. Final thing, please check out my book if you haven't done so already. It's called Return to Human, How Modern Medicine, the Media, and the Mundane Have Destroyed Our Health and How to Move Back Towards Optimal Health. You can find it on Amazon. Just search up Return to Human. Make sure to click the filter books and you will find it on there. Thank you so much, and let's get on with the show with Casey Ruff. All right, so today I have with me Casey Ruff, personal trainer since 2007, host of the Boundless Body Radio podcast lifestyle coach, and performance enhancement specialist. Casey has helped thousands of clients over 14 years learn how to achieve their best lifestyle through movement, lifestyle management, and proper diet. Casey, how are you today? Doing great, Jorge. It's such an honor to be on your show. I love your podcast. No, it's great to have you, man. I'm really glad that we connected. So I, I really want to get started on um, your work as a personal trainer first, because I mean, most healthcare professionals, if they go through the system of conventional medicine, or even if you know you become a nutritionist or a dietitian, basically, if you're involved in healthcare at all, you go through this like one size fits all, like food pyramid, you know, grains, you know, all this kind of stuff. And while you know that's not to say that doesn't work for a few people, you know, some people maybe it can work for. For a lot of people, there's a lot of things missing there. So, how did you go from you know kind of being um, growing up not growing up but like being taught in this kind of space of you know there's this is the only thing that'll work super high carb to kind of going you know 180 degrees going the opposite way yeah don't you miss the day that you got your very first health coaching certification or nutrition coaching certification or personal training where they laid it out in this exact way to do things and you're like great i know everything there is to know about <laughs> nutrition and squatting yeah. and day by day you just chip away and learn that you know nothing more and more <laughs> as the days go on oh boy so yeah so I've, I've been a certified personal trainer for um 15 years actually so it was 2007 that i got started um got certified at a big box gym and, and started working there and, and just kind of made it my career um over time i really enjoyed working with people and so i've always had some you know kind of a an, an interest at least in the background in nutrition especially but i wasn't a certified nutrition coach until 2017 when i completed my precision nutrition certification i could actually like help people design meal plans and help them you know set macros or whatever they wanted to do um and yeah in that journey it, it was a lot of learning and unlearning um you know back at the gym the that I was working at at the time, we were definitely told that you needed to eat lots of fruits and vegetables. You needed to eat the rainbow. At one right. point we were saying like, if you're not getting nine to 11 servings of fruits and vegetables a day that come from organic sources, you need to take multivitamins. And, um, you know, I just, I did that for a long time and it just didn't work. It was just on a practical level. If you hired me as a personal trainer, because you wanted to see really good results and you're working with me and it's been a few weeks, a few months, and you're not seeing the results that you're paying me for, like that's kind of problematic. And it just, that, that, that standard advice and that standard message of nutrition, it just, it, it didn't work. Like if somebody could technically pull it off, which nobody could, but if you could, you, you know, you did all the shopping, you bought all the ingredients, you made all the meals and snacks and had, you know, basically what is like carry on luggage looking 
coolers that you take with you everywhere so you can have all that accessible you know it, it was such a small percentage of people that could do it and if they did it, it very rarely produced the result that we were looking for anyway and in my career um one of the cool things that i had access to and, and part of my my job title was i was a, a metabolic specialist which meant i was running a metabolic cart at my club and also overseeing that program at 13 different clubs of my company in the Western region. So I was going out traveling, teaching other personal trainers how to use a metabolic cart. And a metabolic cart is, is really great. It's kind of fun. What you do is you hook somebody up to a mask, which collects their respirations. And, and we send that data to a little box that's connected to a computer. By analyzing somebody's breathing, we know not only how many calories they're burning, not only at rest, but also while they're exercising. So, you know, we know that if you're exercising harder, you're going to burn more calories. And, and as a byproduct of that, you'll be breathing heavier. So we know that's something that we can measure. And these, these carts would also look at the oxygen and carbon dioxide that people were breathing in and out and how those things were exchanging in the body. And so this helped us go one step further to be able to tell what fuel source somebody was burning while they were doing exercise or while they were resting. And so again, a really classic example would be like, if you go for a walk, let's say the intensity is very low, you can breathe in and out calmly through your nose while you do it, you can carry on a conversation. You're not gonna burn a ton of calories doing that walk, but you will burn a very high percentage of those calories from fat. Fat should be that fuel source that really helps you do low level activities for a really, really long time. That's why we store so much fat on the body. You know, we can be alive for days if we don't get food because we can rely on the fat that's stored in our body for energy. On the flip side, if you were to do something very stressful, you know, the body classically would like run away from something or chase something, um, you do that, you're definitely going to burn a lot more calories, but those calories are going to come from a different fuel source. They're going to be coming from carbohydrates. And so helping people understand those principles was was really great and helpful. And we helped a lot of people not overtrain when, you know, they were doing their exercise. But what we started to learn over time is how much the diet would impact how good somebody was at burning fat versus just burning carbohydrates. And so when I was racing, you know, road bikes and cycling a lot, and I would be eating a very, very high carbohydrate diet, that would be my necessary fuel source. I would have to eat carbs all day, every day. I would need to take carbohydrates with me, you know, for my bike rides, so gels and goos and all those sports nutrition products. You're, you're heavily reliant on that because you, there's such a limited amount of carbohydrate that the body can store. But if you train that way, that's the only fuel that your body is going to have access to. And we started noticing like first, like, wow, if people just simply put more fat in their diet, you know, initially like olive oil or an avocado, you know, we learned that there's such a thing as a healthy fat. It's like, oh, I didn't think that was a thing. <laughs> I thought all that was unhealthy. You know, not only were people, you know, feeling better, but we could validate it on those tests that they would be better at burning fat. And so it was really just a progression of learning what was actually working for people. And we just noticed the less carbohydrates somebody included in their diet, the more their body's metabolism would shift over to burning fat and they would be happier. They would be losing weight much better. And so that's what kind of carried me down that progression of, of continually lowering the carbohydrate and in some cases increasing the fat in certain people's diets. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, this is about as close as you can get to both being a researcher, but also being in the field and actually, you know, seeing results. Um, I think oftentimes one of my major kind of, I don't know if I'd say critiques, but something that I see that is kind of missing from food recommendations is that in a sense, they're kind of removed from the personal experiences of people. Um, you know, you have these large epidemiological nutrition studies, which, you know, are, there's a lot of flaws in them. And as, as I'm sure that, you know, 
Um, and so they take these thousands and thousands of people and it's, yeah, it's easy to make general assumptions about people, but when you're doing what you're doing, you're working one-on-one -on -one with people or in small groups, like you can really get to see, especially with the metabolic cart that you said, you get to see the actual data points of, okay, what is this individual person? Um, you know, what is the CO2, O2 differences in this person? And also how are they feeling, right? It's not just the objective, but it's also, you're talking about the subjective there too, that you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I, I love how you pointed that out. It is really important to, to use both and validate both. We need the researchers, we yeah. need the people on the ground. It, it was really unique. And I really appreciated that time that I had to do that. We also tried to be really pragmatic with things that the gym had already set up. And so one of the things that they offered were temporary weight loss contests, which started out as they would offer like a 90 day weight loss contest um, twice a year. And they made a ton of money when they did it. People would buy sessions and supplements and all this stuff to be super motivated. Um, but the, just so so the, the company made so much money, they switched it to do 60-day challenges four times a year. So they made even more money by doing that. And so basically, we would as trainers, we would be, you know, we would have expectations. We have to sign up so many number of people to be able to do this. And we give them all the materials the company gave us, which is like 100 pages of recipes and shopping lists. And here's all these workout programs and all these different events on you know tuesdays or saturdays you have to come to and learn all this stuff and you know the program was fine but literally like over the years of doing that program so many times the compliance of people that started the contest that would you know not even if they were successful or not but just who would like end the contest like get on the scale at the very end it was less than 20 percent like the fail rate just getting through that 90 days, even if you saw no results was, was like, I don't know, 15%, 18%, something like that. And so when we started noticing that, you know, low carbohydrates seemed to be working for so many people, we used, you know, scales and body fat trackers to be able to tell that people were not just losing weight, they were losing body fat. You know, we just used the framework of those 90 days, 60 day contests. And we went rogue and gave people different meal plans that were much more simple. They were much more low carbohydrate. They had fewer ingredients. People really liked them. And we just tracked our people over time just doing that. And, and again, this isn't like perfect research, but we had over 100 people that we ended up testing over the course of doing all these 60-day contests. And sure enough, our compliance percentage was about 65%, so much more compliance. It was far easier for people to stick with it. And the total numbers of those, you know, of, of the people that finished, it was over 100 I want to say it was like 126. They lost a combined 730 pounds with 720 of those pounds coming from actual fat mass validated on a, on a reputable body fat scale. And so again, not a perfect study, but it's very practical and repeatable. And it was across a lot of different populations, men, women, older people, younger people, people that wanted to lose fat, other people wanted to gain muscle or some people want to do yoga. It was, it was all kinds of different people, but just offering them an alternative uh, which was, again, very simple, low-carbohydrate diets. The results were remarkable. I was even blown away. I thought it would really work, but I, it really surprised me. Oops, sorry, I was muted. Oh, this, wow. is, <laughs> this is something that fascinates me because, you know, we, we kind of all know the different opposing perspectives where, you know, you have the calories in, calories out people where you can basically, the flexible dieting people, like the person that comes to mind is Dr. Lane Norton. He's like the, you know, the big guy in that area. Right. And so exactly who I was thinking of too. Perfect. Yeah. Right. So, so for me, it's, it's difficult because, you know, how is it that if you look at the, at the research, right, you see that basically the best diet is the diet that you can stick to. And I think for the most part, I think that's been true in my experience with my clients, 
And, you know, it just, it appears to be true. Right. But then again, individual by individual, it's going to, it's going to be different. And so for you, what do you think it was about the specific, you know, simple low carb approach that you were taking? What was it about that, that made it so that it was easier to comply with for your clients? Great question. That's a really great question. You know, I, I think the biggest thing and the reason why these meal plans worked is, first of all, like you said, they were very simple. They took very few ingredients, but also there's no limitation. We told people like there's, you can only stop eating unless you are like extremely full. When you are fully satiated, that's when you can stop. Like don't eat four eggs if you think you can eat five eggs or whatever. And I think so many people have that idea, the calories in, calories out equation. And I'm not going to sit here and say that that equation doesn't work, but I am going to say that most of us look at it in the incorrect manner. We look at the calories in, calories out model as something that's very simplistic, where let's, let's reduce our calories that we're consuming down. Let's increase the calories that we're burning by exercising. And what that does is creates this environment in our bodies that tells ourselves that we're not getting enough calories and we're literally out running around looking for food. Well, that's just going to put your body in economy mode. It, your body's going to want to slow down and hold on to things. It's going to want to hold on to visceral fat. Your body temperature is going to drop. Um, and so you'll definitely notice like cold hands and feet when you do that. And that visceral fat is to help protect the organs and keep the organs warm as the body is literally trying to shut it down. That's why people get really tired. They get very hungry. They crave things that are very high in calories. Since they're not getting enough calories, they want, you know, donuts and cookies and a big, big, you know, combination of fat and carbohydrates that we don't really see in nature. And, and so sure enough, when we look at the calories in, calories out model in that way, we create the perfect formula for weight gain and fat gain. We are making people in this perfect state of like, you're going to gain a bunch of fat. When this is done, which it will be, get, you know, four or five, six weeks of the best willpower you've ever had is going to carry you that far, but you're going to be cold and tired and have tons of cravings. And now your body is primed. You give it some calories and it's going to hoard all of those calories. It already slowed itself down to be able to protect you. And so you're going to gain weight and you're going to start the next time around at a much higher weight. So we go back to that question say like, why do we think this worked? I think it's because we looked at that equation in a, in a different way, we say, okay, if, if dieting and cal you know, calorie restriction and heavy exercise is going to reduce the resting metabolic rate, what things can boost the resting metabolic rate? Why don't we, why don't we just teach our bodies to burn lots of calories all the time on their own naturally in a way that, you know, people don't really feel that hungry. They have more energy. Let's tell the body it's really safe. Um, plenty of calories are around. And when we focus the diet on getting a lot of animal proteins with animal fats, I think that's a really optimal way to tell the body that it can keep that metabolic rate really high combined with giving people the right exercise rather than going out and burning a ton of calories. Let's teach your body to be inefficient with calories and, and let's build some muscle mass. Let's get some more muscle tissue on you because that will create inefficiency. Your body will burn more calories when you do that. And so again, you go back to that formula and it's the same formula either way. It's just looking at it a way that we can either white knuckle it for a short amount of time, or we can teach the body that it's safe and everything's fine. And it can continue burning off the calories that, that it already has. hundred percent. And I think, you know, people like Dr. Lane Norton, it's not that I was trying to bash him with that comment. I actually get a lot of really valuable information from people like him, because I do think calories in calories out is, I mean, that's 
probably true. I mean, I don't see how that can not be true. Now, obviously, we have to take into account hormones and things that change your resting metabolic rate and things that, you know, for example, protein, I believe it's like 30% of the amount of, of protein that you're getting is actually uh, your body actually uses that energy in order to digest it. So you're actually right. not getting the 100% of the calories from the protein, you're getting 70% because it's so energy intensive for your digestive system. And, you know, similar thing with, with fiber actually, which, you know, we can kind of argue on whether or not fiber is like as helpful as you think it is in certain instances, which I think is true. Um, it, especially for me, I don't really have a especially good time with certain types of fibers, um, than others, but you know, all these things do play into this kind of calorie formula, but I think you're hundred percent, right. It's like, let's not do what well for in my opinion the flexible dieting thing is only so helpful because you know you can eat the breads and the pastas and like all these things and you're you know you can do a twinkie diet there was that uh professor in nutrition i don't remember his name but that's right he did that twinkie diet right and he lost like 30 pounds but what he probably neglected to mention is how shitty he felt is he probably suffered where did that weight loss come from we want fat loss not weight loss right and so there are all these other factors that play into dietary compliance over the long term that we need to keep in mind. Yeah, I love that. That's a really great point. You know, I was listening to somebody's content not too long ago, and they said sugar is fine in moderation. And it's like, yeah, like, I agree. Who can moderate sugar? Let's, <laughs> let's start with how can you moderate sugar? I can't moderate yeah. sugar. I have to have a zero sugar diet because if I have some, I'm going to have more and then I'm going to feel terrible and I'm going to have horrible anxiety. It's not worth it. And I was always the person, you know, as I was doing my nutrition coaching and all the certifications that like, I, I love moderation. I would love to tell people all the time, like, it's okay if you're not on your diet, you know, the best all the time, you know, you can go to the birthday parties, you can have the holiday parties and, you know, you just get back on afterwards. And you, you're right. Like, yeah, that might be true, but you might also start the 50 pound weight gain and, and send it, you know, fully down that path for months and months and months. I've seen people do that where they're really on point with their diet. They go on the trip and yeah, they didn't eat the best, but they never recovered. They didn't go back to what they were doing and they gained tons and tons of weight. And so you really have to, you, when you're working with people, as, as you well know, as a health coach, you really have to understand, like, is this person somebody who can moderate or is this somebody who needs to abstain? And that's that's where I get a little value out of something that's really strict and makes it really simple. Like if I say I'm on carnivore, I'm only eating meat. I, you just walk through the store, you go right to the places where you need to go. It's, it's just not a question. It makes things a little bit simple. So we need to understand our people a little bit better and ask questions. But I think it's I think it becomes it becomes harder when there are those questionable things that, that I, I practically, I don't think work for many people. Yeah, no. And I totally agree. You brought up a really good point, which is, you know, who can moderate sugar, <laughs> right? Like in our environment, everything is added, you know, sugar is added to everything, basically, like you have it on, you know, ketchup and, you know, sauces and uh, every packaged food you can think of probably has some amount of sugar. And, and you're right, like I've had clients where they even touch like fruit, and they're off the rails because they get that little taste of sweetness and they're like, they're gone and they can't control it. And so for the people that really have this sort of, you know, like addictive like tendencies towards foods and towards sugar, which is, you know, by nature, very, can be very addicting, then, then yeah, it's better for that person to stay on a lower carb diet because that's how they can stick to their goals. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a really good point. And maybe we could point out the difference in our locations to hammer home this point. I'm looking at you, you're yeah. in Costa Rica. Look 
absolutely gorgeous. It's amazing. Yeah. Tell me about the food that grows around there. Like, do you see a lot of food that's growing that's available, such as fruits? So this is the crazy thing, right? I got here the first time, and in my in my head, it was like, oh, Costa Rica. It's always green. There's always fruits year round. And then I I was here for longer, and I got here right now. This is actually technically the winter, right? And so nothing grows naturally. Like I'm telling wow. you, such few fruit grows, and so. I was this whole paradigm for me was turned on its head because I was like, oh, shit, we did not evolve eating plentiful fruits and carbs year round. Wow. We simply didn't not even in near the equator, right, where you have plenty of sunlight and you expect there to be mangoes and bananas and coconuts yeah, all year round. Yeah. That's just not the case, not even here. <laughs> and so if I can imagine what it must have been like in Michigan, you know, where I'm from, like that's even worse, right? You only get like one or two months out of the year where you're getting fruits or something like that. Wow. Right? And so yeah. for me, it was like, you're exactly right. Seasonal, you know, food changes with the seasons, the availability of food. And it's not, you don't get your choice like you do at Whole Foods <laughs> nowadays, right? So, so different. Yeah. I mean, I think about here in Salt Lake City, like I walk around, you know, the lake by our house every single day. I watch sunrise and make sure I expose my eyes to, to the sun, which I absolutely love. You did a recent uh, podcast episode about that, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I'm looking at so much diversity. There are so many different plants that are growing, so many different birds, and it, it's great, but there's nothing edible. Like, if I like had to live on the things that grow around me, I would die. Like, surely, like, there's no way I could survive. And it's the middle of summer. Like, we're getting into the part where fruits are going to start popping up on different trees, and they're really tasty, and I'll have one and eat one and throw the seeds somewhere. But I notice when I have them, they make me very hungry afterwards. They're really small. If you pick them, like we have strawberries that grow by our house. If you pick them and leave them out, like even at a cold countertop in the shade, within 10 hours, they're back. Like they don't last very yeah. long. And you definitely don't dip these in chocolate. Um, <laughs> and, and I just think, I think back to, you know, something that Dr. Bill Schindler said, he's a mutual friend of both of ours, yeah. you know, when you were talking to him and it's like fruit is very, very different than what you are accustomed to, what you see at Whole Foods. When you go buy, you know, a, a, a cellophane wrapped tray of 12 softball sized apples that's a really recent thing that's different <laughs> yeah. than a natural apple which is really small and tart yes. and you don't get it all year so yeah. i think those are important points to consider and keep in mind we're talking about like relatively healthy foods like i would way rather you have a store-bought apple than have you know the disaster that you can get at the soda store you of know course. with a sugar cookie so yeah yeah it's yeah. it's interesting yeah exactly no and i actually that was that was the crazy thing when i first got here too it was like um I saw the apples, exactly the apples, what you're talking about. Um, and I saw they were like, like tiny, like not even the size of my hand. They were like half the size of my hand. Wow. And it was like, it was like three, four bites. And I was done with the apple. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I need to eat three or four of these to get the same amount as I'd get in a, in a GMO store and, you know, wow. in the States, right? Yeah. Crazy. I, I'm a little surprised by your answer too. I would have thought for sure, like, yeah, we get some. It's not a lot, but we, we you know, there's some out there. But it, yeah, it, that surprised me a little bit myself. Yeah, no, it, it's like right now it's the it's the core of the rainy season. There's barely any sunlight. If we do get any sunlight, it's early in the morning. So you don't get wow. that UV intensity that you'd get in order to actually grow those plants. So so, yeah, I mean, we're we're pretty much just uh, I guess traditionally without agriculture, you would have had much less access to grains wow. and carbohydrates and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Totally yeah. agree. No question about that. Um, so I, I wanted to touch on something that you brought up earlier, actually. So you said, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. This is what I heard. You said that there was 
when you were measuring the the kind of ratios of carbon dioxide and oxygen that you you know kind of breathe in and breathe out when you were at lower intensities you're burning more fat and i always think about this like uh, fuel oxidation and like intensity of exercise scale that's something that i you know when i started out with keto that was always something that got brought up it was like oh well you know you need carbs because at you know, 50% of intensity, you start re being reliant on carbs, right? You stop burning fat at lower intensities, you burn a lot of the fat. And then once you get to the higher ones, you tap into the glycogen and you, you know, you really use that for the higher intensity stuff, right? And so for a lot of people, you know, in the kind of conventional paradigm, it's, oh, well, that just means that I need to do cardio all the time, because that's how I burn fat. And so you mentioned something about building muscle and obviously you're not going to build much muscle doing cardio. And you talked about the importance of building muscle. So tell me about, tell me about your approach there, because I'm assuming it's not doing cardio all the time. Yeah, it's not. It was, it wasn't yeah. one time. <laughs> um, no, it's really not. And it, it's part of that understanding of what, what's going to be the effect of the message I'm sending to my body with what I'm trying to do. So um, you know, running, running is probably a really good example as humans, we evolved doing persistence hunting, as you well know, mm -hmm. you know, we can, we, we have a really interesting speed curve. That's a lot flatter than other animals where we can travel very efficiently at various different speeds where a lot of different animals kind of max out at a certain speed and they're less efficient on that U curve with humans. It's more, you know, we can sprint, we can run, we can trot, we can walk and we're, we're fairly efficient, all those different activities, but to be able to chase animals down, we need to do more persistent hunting. And to be able to do that, if you think of a world, you know, around you, a natural landscape where food is really scarce, we really want to be economical and efficient with our calories. And so if I'm running a lot at a low level for a really long time, I'm gonna create um, some efficiency. I'm going to get better. My stride's gonna be more efficient. You can track this on runners by using things like vertical oscillation or how much are they bouncing up and down when they run. You know, if I were to go out for a three mile run right now, I would look like a disaster <laughs> because I don't run, I hardly ever run. Yeah. But if I did that for several months, I would, my form would be better. I, my gait would be much better. And I would be able to do that three mile run on less calories because I would be more efficient. And again, in a natural landscape, that's, that's great. That's exactly what we want. If I can burn less calories, then I don't need to eat as much. I'm not as reliant on catching food every single day. And, and so in that environment, that's fine. But when we change the environment around us, and now we have, you know, carbohydrates year round, processed carbohydrates, seed oils, calories are, are plentiful. They're everywhere. Well, now that kind of changes things a little bit. And, you know, when we're doing, when we're doing that kind of running and we're, we're teaching our bodies to be more efficient with calories, that's going to be very difficult when we have so much food around us. And, and the, the worst thing that I see, even taking that one step further is the thing that I saw with people in the gym where they would join the gym in January, like we said, and they jump on the treadmill and they would run at an intensity that would be very high, but it would be very maintainable. So like on a scale of one to 10, they would be running at like a seven or an eight mouth breathing, huffing and puffing, sweating a lot, but you can maintain it for a really long time, 45 minutes, right. you know, an hour, the treadmill says they burn 700 calories. You know, that was that form of activity, but what they're doing burns a lot of calories. So, so now you're going to crave a lot of calories. The primary fuel source, like you mentioned is carbohydrate to fuel that type of intensity. Right. So now you're going to crave more carbohydrates and all the while you're becoming more and more efficient, which is taking your metabolic rate 
down, not only while you exercise, but it also has that same effect at rest. And so it really compounds the problem that most people have where they're, they're, they're going out and eating too many carbohydrates as is. And we don't want to create, a, we, we don't want to create efficiency if somebody's trying to burn off an excess. We want inefficiency. We want to tell the body, we want to get after this energy that we've been storing for years and years and years in the form of body fat. And so, yeah, chronic cardio, I find to be one of the most um, unhelpful things for most people in their goals. And if, if they really are thoughtful and sit down and think about what they want and what they want to create for people, I think more people would understand that like, yeah, doing, you know, several half marathons a year, that's a really cool accomplishment and something you should be really proud of, but it may or may not line up with your actual goals and it may not be the healthiest thing for you. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a swimmer for 10 plus years, a competitive swimmer, and I did it in college too. And in Michigan, it, it yeah in Michigan and it drained That's the serious, shit out of me it, serious it, swimming it, yeah no it, and it drained me right and I started really competitively when I was like nine that's when I buckled down and I started doing like you know the two a days two hour practices plus weightlifting you know and so for me I could never put on muscle right and so I just thought oh it's a genetic thing you know I just can't put on muscle oh well you know sucks but you know I'll keep going and keep doing the cardio thing I was I wasn't skinny fat only because I was doing so much exercise and my diet was like relatively good, but I did not have very much muscle on me at all. Um, wow. I didn't have very much fat on me either, but I was just so skinny. And so wow. for people to look and, and they would see me and say, Oh, he's so skinny. Wow. Like that's, that's like so healthy, you know, because you could see my muscles peeking out, but it wasn't because I was muscular. It was because I just was just shred, like not even shredded because that's a, that's a better connotation. But like I, emaciated almost emaciated that's exactly the word that is exactly wow. the word and i actually have a picture i'm going to share it on my instagram probably at some point i was Great. like 158 pounds at six foot two right and so wow that's, yeah yeah so it was not healthy and that's not a healthy approach doing that much cardio for me i mean i was doing probably like ten thousand yards a day probably on most days of swimming that's so, crazy so yeah, so that's not a healthy approach. And I, I totally agree with you. For me, when I started, when I stopped swimming, when I quit swimming, I was really focused on the muscle building aspect. And lo and behold, when I wasn't doing that much cardio, I started sleeping better, my stress went down, my mental health got better, uh, my gut health got better, everything got better. Um, and I started wow. actually putting on muscle for the first time. And so that's the approach, right? It's like, let's stop doing this chronic cardio thing. And I know, uh, I don't know if you know this study, I actually wrote a, a paper uh, for my physiology class about it. It's the, they did a study on the Hadza, a metabolic study, where they kind of followed them around throughout their whole day. And their hypothesis was, well, you know, these Hadza are super lean because look at how much activity they do. They walk around for hours every single day and they walk for miles and miles and miles every day, you know, for basically like 24 seven, they're moving. And so they're like, oh, well, that's why they're lean compared to us in the Western world. And it's like, they actually got the results back and they found they don't burn any more calories than we do. Yeah, and so, surprising. Surprising, right? And so that tells us that it's the food that's the lever. It's the nutrition yeah. that's the lever for our yeah. food. I couldn't agree more. We've interviewed Dr. Herman Ponser, who wrote the book Burn, um, all about the Hadza. And he, he was part of that study and what they were looking at. And yeah, he was really surprised, as I think a lot of people were surprised. Um, and so, yeah, that, I think that's a really 
good point. If we can flip that paradigm and have people, again, not overstressing, like you said, not doing chronic amounts of cardio, let's, let's bring it down a little bit. Let's bring the intensity down, go on a walk. It's so much more enjoyable anyway. Go get that sunlight, go get that yeah. fresh air, maybe some temperature exposure, hot or cold, right. and, and use that low intensity exercise to, to burn less calories, but burn more fat is tremendous. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. when we get people focusing on recovery, getting adequate protein, and then now let's lift a heavy weight that tells the body that its current level of strength is not adequate. Now the body is forced to get stronger. It mm -hmm. doesn't like to, it's again, it's evolved in that, in that efficiency mindset. But if you push something really, really heavy and the body thinks it can't do it, it only understands that it has to get stronger. So that's yeah. when it starts shoveling resources over to let's get strong let's build some muscle fibers let's make the bones and connective tissue much stronger there's so many benefits that way and it, it really has been scientifically shown to have cardiovascular benefits as well and so this term of you know cardio and you know even jogging and running and all these things they're, they're really quite recent you know it's, it's kind of like aerobics were something that was done in like the 60s and 70s, really kind of for the first time. And so when we can step away from that a little bit, I do think we can do a much better job of actually creating health and burning fat. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And again, unfortunately, I, I don't have enough time to keep going. I would love to continue this conversation. I will have you back at some point again when you're available. Um, but for now, I wanted to end on um, a question that I'm going to start asking everyone on the podcast. So All right. For you, what are the the books, the podcasts, the people that have made the greatest impact on your life? That is a tremendous question. <laughs> That's a tremendous question. Wow. Okay. Um, let's start with podcasts. I would say the most impactful that I've um, come across, I'll, I'll, I'll name two. So first one I would say would be Peak Human by Brian Sanders. He's done just such a wonderful job over the years um, talking to a lot of the guests that, you know, now, now you and I have both been able to host Um you know, and, and talk to. And I think he's done a really great job presenting the case in a really kind of friendly and open way. Um, and so I've really enjoyed that one over the years. I never miss an episode of Peter Atiyah's The Drive podcast. I, yes. I love that one. Um, that has been very impactful in the way that I think about certain things. And, and podcasting in general, it's just such an amazing way to learn you know, all kinds of different content and it's free. I mean, you're putting this podcast out. I don't have to pay for it. I can listen to all your amazing guests and it, it's really amazing. It's a great way to learn where, you know, 20 years ago, you know, you'd have to go to school. You'd have to join a library or whatever. Like it would be vastly, vastly different. And so I really, I really appreciate those for podcasts. I would say with books, um, probably the most influential would be The Big Fact Surprise by Mina Teichels. Um, Definitely changing the way I think about nutrition and the nutritional guidelines. But I will also say this is a tremendous book that just came out. I've already read it twice. And I would say it's very, very impactful, really comprehensive. It's called The Great Plant-Based Con by Jane Buxton. And, and she yeah. does an incredible job, not, not necessarily to say that the plants are bad for you, but the plant-based movement. I mean, the, the subtitle is why eating a plants-only diet won't improve your health or save the planet. And so it's, it's, it's a great title and it really goes in depth into a lot of different things about the plant-based movement and, you know, talking about the things you're going to be deficient in, the things you're going to have too much of, who makes all the money, how pharma is benefiting, how the Seventh-day Adventist church has a huge huge influence in nutrition and they have for for decades and centuries it's quite interesting she did a great job that way so it is yeah. it is a newer book it just came out but i would say that is a, a very um highly impactful book 
I'm going to check that out, actually. Yeah, and I, I would love to, to reach out and see if I could have him on the podcast. Yeah, She's great. She's an awesome guest. We had a really great time talking to her. She was great. Awesome. And is there is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Anything that for you, you know, you wish you would have heard or, you know, you've heard recently that's inspiring or motivating to you? Oh, man. Yes, great questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think back on the episode that you did with Mickey Bendor. And when, when people, in my opinion, I think this is a really good litmus test. When people explain things in a way that's so simple, that leaves you like, it, it leaves you with all of these different questions answered and makes the most sense. I think that's when you're following the right path. When somebody's explaining something and you, you're getting more questions or there's more paradoxes or things that don't quite make sense, I tend to not kind of go down that path. And so it, it's just, it's been great in this world of nutrition, people questioning the, the paradigms and, and seeing these amazing results. And, and it's simple. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. And I think health and fitness is very much that way. It can be really simple. You can go on walks. Um, you can eat more simply. You can do intermittent fasting very easily once you're on the right, right things. And, you know, things like sunlight and the fresh air and, and like lifting weights, those things can be done, you know, really free most of the time. And so find ways to be, to, to be really pragmatic and be simple with your health. I think that's where the best answers are. Beautiful. Beautiful. And where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so the best place to go is our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. And on our page, uh, there's a book now button where people can book a complimentary 30-minute session with us really to chat about anything they like. Uh, they can also book a 30-minute uh, functional movement screening, which we do with a little bit of creativity over Zoom, uh, where we basically take somebody through a standardized movement test to help them see like if you have movement deficiencies and where we can work on you know, mobility or where we can work on stability and what parts of the body can be strong so you can continue moving well for the rest of your life. So all that's free, we offer that on our website, which again is myboundlessbody.com. And there people can find the blog that I very, very occasionally right on they can find our you know social media stuff and they can find our podcast perfect i'll link to those in the show notes for everyone to have thank you so much for your time absolutely Jorge. always a pleasure thank you very much for listening to this episode if you enjoyed it please share it far and wide with as many friends and family as possible And please check out my book, Return to Human, How Modern Medicine, the Media, and the Mundane Have Destroyed Our Health and How to Move Back Towards Optimal Health. You can find it on Amazon. Just click the little filter, books. And please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes. That would help us get this message out to way more people. Thank you for listening.